It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. We're going to start off this episode sharing some of our personal discomfort, because why not? (laughs) Part of our aim with this show is to bring you into our lives in an intimate way and share our personal conversations and the lessons that we learn from them and share with you how we work through tough times. And there's certainly been an abundance of tough times in the past few months. And this one is actually related to a bigger issue, but is relatively minor. But that doesn't mean that something that is minor isn't uncomfortable. And I think that's actually a point I'll start with here is everything's relative. And sometimes we can get to this place where we feel like our problems aren't worth being problems. Like, oh, well, my problem's so small and people are suffering in much bigger ways. So I should just be grateful. But on a psychological level that that isn't really helpful because each of us are struggling with things that are relative to our previous struggles and our current struggles. And yes, we can consider what other people are struggling with around the world, but we also don't know exactly how they feel and they don't know how we feel. So I just want this to be a reminder that even when something feels small, you should still honor it and address it and let yourself work through it. So before we were started recording today, Jason shared that he's feeling some sadness. So do you want to share what your sadness is about, Jason? Well, I can share what the present source of the sadness is, but... I didn't I mean like you're... <laughs> hey, Jason, can you summarize everything that you feel sad about right now? <laughs> I mean, I could. I could. I could. I could. That's not what I meant. <laughs> I could. I could. Uh, but before I share what I'm feeling sad about, I want to blow it out into the deeper reason why. So. This year, Whitney and I have, like many listeners and many people out there, seen the cancellation of a lot of large-scale events from as big as something like uh, the Olympics. Obviously, it's as big as you get on a worldwide stage to festivals like Coachella and Burning Man, to some of our favorite musical artists canceling their tours, and then to our present industry, the health and wellness industry, canceling a lot of the trade shows and also some of the events that Whitney and I were scheduled to speak at, and that's part of our business and part of our revenue stream. So it's obviously been this myriad challenge on so many levels from uh, being music fans and fans of going to festivals and things like that to being compensated as part of our business to go speak at health and wellness events. So we learned about an hour ago that the Natural Products Expo East was officially canceled for September. And I'm feeling sad for a few primary reasons. And number one is with everything that been canceled so far through 2020, there were only a handful of events left that we were, I was at least, I know you were too, Whitney, holding out hope that they would happen. And Expo East was one of those things of, okay, if we just get one show in, just give us one show and connect with friends and connect with brands and secure some new sponsorship deals. This wasn't just about going and and sampling food for any of the listeners who haven't prized yourself to what the Natural Products Expo is. It's an industry food trade show. It's it's one of the biggest 
trade shows in the world actually for food. And every year Whitney and I go to the well, it's not just food, it's beverages and any natural products. Yes. Like home goods yes. and companion animal products and sometimes even clothing. True. And such. Thank you. Yes, correct. I did not want to minimize it and say just food. You're absolutely right. It it encompasses really I would say, you know, pretty much damn near all of the wellness industry in terms of products. And again, we love going there because we get to reconnect with friends who live on the East Coast. We usually make a trip out of it going to Boston and uh, New York City. And this year they moved the event from Baltimore, Maryland to Philadelphia. And, and two of our greatest friends and their son live in Philadelphia and just moved into a new house. So I'm bummed not only for the cancellation of an event that I was looking forward to on a professional level and obviously holding out hope that for us as entrepreneurs and business owners, some of that lost revenue or some of those speaking opportunities, Whitney, that got canceled for us in these festivals and conferences, this might be a way for us to connect with brands and obviously leverage our platform to forge some new alliances and partnerships. And, you know, a huge reason for it. But the other thing is, I'm just, I really wanted to see our friends, Mike and Ariana and their son, Leo, and, and see all of our really, really close friends like Leanne and, and Chloe and people in New York City. And, I think, just think the East Coast trip that we take on an annual basis, technically it's a business trip and we do write it off. It's just so much more than that in terms of seeing your family, Whitney, in Massachusetts and seeing all of our friends up and down the East Coast. So beyond the business side of this, I'm sad because I was really looking forward to seeing the people we care about. Like if, if I'm honest about it, that really actually, now that I'm pondering, it actually feels more sad than the business side of things is just feeling like it's going to be even longer that we get to see the people that we love who live on the East Coast. and that's. That's tough right now. It is tough. And I, it may be something very relatable, even if the listener doesn't go to a trade show like this or have a business event that they look forward to. I'm sure m most people can relate to that sadness that comes with something that they were looking forward to being canceled. And that's something a lot of people are experiencing this year in ways that maybe we've never experienced before. And it just keeps coming and coming. And I think that's part of the sadness here for me and, and perhaps for you as well, Jason, is it's a cumulative effect knowing that, wow, it's Expo West, which is there are two natural products expos a year, one on each side of the country. And when it was canceled in March, that was a really big deal. And we actually had a, a special episode of this show that we recorded, which was never fully broadcast on the podcast. It was broadcast just on YouTube. So if you haven't watched that yet and you're curious, it's actually kind of interesting to me because that was right at the very beginning of the COVID development in the United States. And this was early March 2020. So if you want to watch our take on that and how we were discussing it and where we, we were at at that point, you can find a link to that video at wellevator.com along with anything else that we mentioned during this episode. So if you go to w-e-l-l-e-v-a-t-r.com, look for the podcast show notes. If you can't find them easily, there's a search button you can click and, and just type in Expo, and I'm sure that'll come up for you, and, and you can find that video. And in that video, we talked about our feelings on COVID, and it, it was an interesting time in early March because there was so much unknown. And so when they canceled Expo West, it felt like a huge deal, and some people actually felt like it wasn't necessary, I suppose. Overly cautious, right? Right. And that, there was a, a huge backlash from the natural products industry because 
this event was canceled very last minute. I mean, it was like a few days before the event happened, they canceled it. And this occurrence that we're speaking about right now with Expo East, they're canceling it three months in advance or a little over three months in advance, actually. So they gave people a lot more notice, which I think was really smart from a business standpoint. But it's got a different effect because what they kept saying when they canceled Expo West was, hey, we're canceling Expo West, but don't worry, we're going to have this great time for Expo East. Because I think back in March, we thought that COVID might be a short-term situation. And I think that maybe right now they're also being a bit overly cautious. But my mentality is gratitude for that because A, I'd rather more advanced notice so I have time to kind of cognitively process the cancellation versus Expo West, which was very abrupt. And I think it also is really helpful in that I can, how do I say this? Let me put it this way. It's really interesting because the cumulative effect that I was mentioning is that it's not just one event that was canceled. It was multiple events. As as Jason said, it's tough because it almost feels like there isn't anything to look forward to for a while. And I think that's a very relatable feeling. I've noticed this in articles that I've read about the emotional effects of COVID is that there's so much uncertainty and it's so challenging to plan. And in a way, I feel relieved that Expo West was, or Expo East, I should say, is canceled because now I know how to make my plans. Because for months, I felt like I couldn't make plans. I couldn't book my airline. I couldn't book hotels and car rentals. And I couldn't make all these plans with friends and family. Everything felt so up in the air. And that felt really uncomfortable to me. But now that it's canceled, while I may feel relieved to not be up in the air anymore, now I have to deal with that sadness. And you know what? This may be an extreme example, but it does remind me of That feeling that comes along with death, when there's someone in your life, whether it's a human being or an animal companion, that is getting older and maybe sick, one of the most challenging elements of that for me, and I've I've noticed this with other people in my life, is that anticipation, like they could die at any day. And there's a lot of emotional weight that comes with anticipating something negative. Do you know what I mean, Jason? Like, There's a sense of relief we often feel when someone passes away, knowing that we no longer have to anticipate that moment. Yeah, it's it's almost as if there's a dual-edged sword when it comes to something like this, where there's there's the dread of the inevitability of the event of someone passing or something being canceled or going away. But there's also, I think, part of that time that allows us to process and prepare. I mean, of course, nothing... There's the preparation for the thing, and then there's the actual thing, right? Of course, preparing for someone to pass or to die or an aspect of one's life to close or move on to a different chapter, you never really know what it is until you're actually in it, in the moment of it. But I think it is a dual-edged sword, Whitney, in that sense of the dread and the fear of how might I feel or react when it actually happens. And then there's also like, yeah, but maybe I can bolster myself emotionally or make plans or... I don't know. It's sort of both of those things wrapped into one for me. And it's a different stage of grief too, because similar to death, when you're anticipating something that may or may not happen in the way that you think you're going to, in this situation, it's it's been so up in the air. And as I said, that's very uncomfortable. But then once something finally happens, then you go into a different stage of processing that grief. 
And I actually, in the midst of reading a spectacular book about this, and let me pull up the, the name of it so I get it right. As I'm doing that, this reminds me of something that I was seeing online about what it means to get uncomfortable and what the meaning of discomfort is and how important it is for us to acknowledge and sit with the idea that something's making us uncomfortable. And I think that's a huge part of the grief process. And I also read this quote online that I thought was really eloquent, which is, the truth is that our finest moments are most likely to occur when we are feeling deeply uncomfortable, unhappy, or unfulfilled. For it is only in such moments, propelled by our discomfort, that we are likely to step out of our ruts and start searching for different ways or truer answers. And I saw that quote on Facebook. There there wasn't an author attributed to it, but I, the quote was shared by Project Personal Freedom. And I think that was directly related to the racial justice that we're working on right now as a country and as a world and how uncomfortable that is. But I also think that applies to COVID and all of these things that we're discussing right now about it can feel incredibly uncomfortable. It can, this is discomfort. But if we allow ourselves to sit with that, with it and to look within ourselves for deeper meaning and answers and finding new ways to approach life, we can actually learn so much. And as this quote said, we can tap into finer moments of life as a result. I think one of the most uncomfortable aspects of this entire massive sweeping change, and I feel it's an evolution of humanity. I really do. I feel like we're being presented with so many opportunities through everything we've been experiencing in 2020 to collectively move our conscious evolution forward. And, and here's what I mean by that. One of the key aspects I think that is challenging, certainly myself and a lot of people I've spoken to, is the concept of identity and the meanings and the attributes we attach to the identities we hold. So for example, we talked about the sadness around Expo East and the cancellation of a lot of the events I mentioned, Whitney. Part of my personal pain around that is that as not only an income source doing a lot of speaking appearances, say over the last four years, um, certainly, you know, being on book tour and promoting the TV series and a lot of the things over the past four to five years, I've done a lot of traveling and been on the road a lot and got to meet a lot of great people and have that as a, a really substantive source of income. But beyond just the money part of these avenues drying up, Part of it is that I've attached part of my identity as I'm this great speaker. You know, when I go out on stage, I bring so much energy and heart and laughter and make people feel joyful and, and perhaps give them some tools to overcome their suffering. And that's something I really love. At the top of the list of things that I love to do in my career, speaking live on stage and singing and telling jokes and educating and entertaining, it really is probably the most joyful thing that I do. I really, really love it. So part of my sadness is the attachment to this identity of you're this great speaker that gets booked for all these events and people love you and you get a lot of love on stage when you give a lot of love. And now that that's not an option, probably, who knows, but maybe through the entire year of 2020, there's a part of me that feels pain and discomfort because I've identified that as a source of joy and also a source of who I think I am. But to go deeper into that, you talk about the racial justice and the inclusivity and a lot of the 
mindset shifts and belief systems that are changing for humanity right now. It's also incredibly uncomfortable, say, if you were raised in, as an example, like a, an Orthodox Christian faith of some kind, that in perhaps in your church or your form of religion, homosexuality is something that God looks down upon, right? It's a sin. But if in your heart as a person, you're looking at LGBTQ people and their rights and their inherent humanity and something about your identification of a religion that says this is a sin, but in your heart, you're actually feeling empathy and compassion and love for these people, that's extremely uncomfortable. You bring up issues of belief and faith and religion and politics and all of these things we identify ourselves as, all these titles. You know, I'm a Christian, I'm a Muslim, I'm a vegan, I'm paleo, I'm this, I'm that. We, we lump so many titles on our life. We actually had a, a great episode about that, uh, about bridges and walls and titles. But my point here is that I think as people are waking up and opening their hearts, opening their minds, doing the research, checking in with themselves, Whitney, part of the massive discomfort is people may be feeling things, thinking things, realizing things that are counter to who they thought they were. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a fascinating place that we're in <laughs> right now. And, and there's a lot of things that are being brought to the surface, which is really wonderful. And I mentioned that I've been reading a, a book about this. It's called Healing Through Dark Emotion, The Wisdom of Grief, Fear, and Despair. And it's beautifully written. It was actually written around the time of 9-11 when the World Trade Centers were hit and how intense of a time that was. And actually, I, as usual, highlighted a bunch of sections from this book. And at the end, there was an epilogue because I believe that the book was being written before 9-11 and then it was published after 9-11. So the author started to weave in elements of that. And it was just really fascinating to reflect back on how 9-11 affected us as a country in the U.S. and certainly had a ripple effect on other countries, but it often felt so intense here in the U.S. and wondering, like, how did other people <laughs> uh, think about that? Here's a couple of quotes from the book regarding 9-11. Uh, one came from Judith Lewis Herman, who wrote that traumatic events destroy the sustaining bonds between the individual and community. Those who have survived learn their sense of worth, their sense of self, of humanity, depends on a feeling of connection to others. The solidarity of a group provides the strongest protection against terror and despair and the strongest antidote to traumatic experience. And this also leads me to an article that I read recently about caution fatigue that I, I want, really wanted to discuss. This, this was on CNN.com, and I, I'll link to the full article in the show notes at wellevator.com. So again, that's at W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. You can go to the podcast show notes for each episode to read more about anything that we discussed today. And it was fascinating reading about caution fatigue, which basically occurs when someone shows low motivation or energy to comply with safety guidelines. And part of this is because of the way that our brains process new details. And it's actually become really difficult for us because a lot of the ways that we obtain details is through digital means. And because we're socially isolated, we can't fully rely on the brain that helps us, or the part of the brain that helps us contextualize information, 
because we're not processing our intuition or social cues the same way. And we often learn with people and they help us process and they help us positively reinforce responsible behavior. So it's actually been really challenging for people on a psychological level to be cautious right now with their health. (laughs) And so that's also interesting and may also play a role in how we're processing this news about our event being canceled, Jason, is like, I think there's this desire to connect with people, you know, because traumatic events are often healed in our connection with other people. And we look forward to going to this event to connect with people. And then simultaneously, because we're not connecting with people, it makes it harder for us to understand why we should be so cautious. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes absolute sense. And I've never heard this phrase before, caution fatigue. Uh, I mean, maybe it's being developed now. It might be a new phrase similar to how I'd never heard of the term digital blackface. You know, totally, before, completely. Before like a, in the past week. And maybe that's a new term. I, I'm not sure. I haven't looked into the history of it, but we're seeing these kind of new ways of describing the things that we're experiencing and the things that are happening in the world because we're in really new times, not just new in terms of a new virus. Obviously, racial challenges are not new to our country, but the way we're dealing with them is new because of platforms like social media. And blackface is a term that's been around for a long time, but has it been used digitally? Has it been discussed in that way? And for anyone who's unfamiliar with this term, we did explore it a bit in I think the episode previous to this one, but that will also be linked in the show notes for you at wellevator.com if you want to hear us talk more about racism and digital blackface and all of that. Uh, anyway, so caution fatigue, yes, is, is kind of in that same category of, of a new term that we're learning. And one of the things that the article got into is how heightened or newfound anxiety and depression can make us feel very hopeless and depleted. And Jason, you talk a lot about your struggles with anxiety and depression or depression mainly. I would say maybe I'm the more anxious of the two of us. (laughs) And that's something that I've had to really hone in on and, and do a lot of work on so that I don't get to a place of feeling hopeless and I don't get to a place of depletion. And with struggles that we're facing through COVID, such as unemployment, our stress levels are going up and that's affecting how our brains function and how we're behaving. And stress actually can make it easier to forget things. So sometimes we actually become so stressed out and exhausted by that. And then just our brain resources are just not operating as well mentally. So it makes it really tough to figure out how to respond and be cautious. And that's why, you know, the word fatigue is integrated into that. We're so fatigued emotionally and mentally right now. It's really tough to handle any new sources of information. You know what I mean? I think there's another level. I'm glad you spoke on anxiety, Whitney, in terms of the preparatory steps and also the preventative steps regarding COVID. And I remember, I don't think I've spoke about this in the beginning of this in March in particular. I remember having a tremendous amount of anxiety anytime I would leave the house. It was like, okay, do you have your mask? Okay. Did you clean the mask? Did you sterilize the mask? Did you bring your gloves? Are there gloves in the glove compartment in case you need extra gloves? Okay. Do you have at least one bottle of sanitizer? Do you have sanitary wipes to wipe down the steering wheel? Okay, cool. And did you take your vitamin C? Did you take your vitamin B? 
Okay, now they're saying take glutathione to protect the lungs. So did you take all your supplements? Don't forget to take your supplements because if you forget to take your supplements, you're going to be more susceptible to the virus. Oh, but that doesn't actually work as an antiviral. Oh, but do they have colloidal silver? I remember going nuts with all of these checklists in my mind of how to protect myself and possibly prevent any kind of infection. I've eased back on it a lot because I feel like it's now routine to have a mask in the car, to sterilize it, to have the sanitizer, to have an extra set of gloves, to be taking my supplements for immunity. But in the beginning, it was like, okay, so filing for unemployment, not making any money, all my speaking appearances got canceled, all these contracts are put on pause, you know, the devastation of that side of it. But then it's like, here's 20 other things to put in your mind to do every day to make sure you're safe and protected, right? So my anxiety was actually creeping in from that kind of overwhelm, which is interesting. You you name it caution fatigue, because my version of that was things are changing so rapidly and getting canceled and, and life is clearly not going to be the same. But then you have to do these 20 extra things to put your mind at ease so you can leave the house. Oh, absolutely. And in that article I'm referencing about caution fatigue, they also call it quarantine fatigue. <laughs> it really is just challenging for us to make decisions. And I think also handling disappointment. Sometimes it just feels like, oh gosh, when is the disappointment going to end? And that's part of the uncertainty that comes along with being in COVID. And you know, I was talking to a friend earlier today, and, and this has come up in multiple conversations with friends. We feel like things are starting to get better. And the city of Los Angeles, for example, is opening up and you can go eat at some restaurants now and it's easier to grocery shop and there's more things that are available and people are starting to feel more comfortable. And then the timing of that, of it being almost summer, at least when we're recording, I think it'll officially be summer by the time this episode comes out. And summer is often associated with being outside and having fun and being on vacation and relaxing and being with your friends, a lot of socializing. And so I feel like a lot of people are anticipating that and like, yes, we can finally be free. But the unfortunate thing of is if we start to let our guards down too quickly, we increase our chance of there being the second wave of COVID. And so now that's been on my mind a lot. It's like, and I think this is part of the reason that Expo East was canceled, because we don't know what's going to happen three months from now. Things could be better or things could get worse again. And that to me is intense. There's moments yesterday, for example, Jason and I went to the All Black Lives Matter protest in March, which corresponded with some of uh, the pride activities for Pride Month. And it was amazing. I didn't look it up. I don't know how many people were there. Do you know, Jason, how many people attended the march? I don't. I didn't look at the stats. But I mean, the, the feeling was that as we were walking down the streets, that there were tens of thousands of people. I, it had that feel Ooh. of like, wow. I just pulled it up. ABC7 estimates it was 40,000 people. Yeah. That's amazing. Amazing. <laughs> yep. And that was just one source. I don't know. They said at least 30,000. So it's probably between 30 to 50,000 people. And that was an incredible feeling to be around that many people. And I don't know if it was you, Jason, or, or someone else I was with yesterday just saying like, it felt so good to be around people. But in my head, I th kept thinking, <laughs> yeah, but we're also still in the midst of COVID-19. And, you know, a lot of people were wearing masks, myself included, Jason included. I want to give a shout out to the company that made the mask I was wearing. It's Canopy Verde, who makes my favorite 
collection of vegan accessories. I have so many items from them. All my bags are from them, you know, from my laptop and my purse. And I absolutely love them. And they recently sent me their masks, which are really comfortable. And I just wanted to make sure they were acknowledged for their amazing work. And um, yet <laughs> it's a cloth mask. They do have an insert where you can put a filter in it. So I want to do that. But, you know, that's part of the caution fatigue for me. I'm going to this big event and I'm wearing a cloth mask with no filter in it. And at one point during the march, I thought, yikes, I'm around thousands of strangers. And yes, most of us are covering our face, but not all masks are created equally. Uh, luckily, Jason was wearing a very heavy duty mask, which I thought was really smart. And, you know, it's going to take me probably two weeks to even know if I'm in the clear. And so I potentially put myself in harm's way, but I did it because A, I do want to socialize and B, I really wanted to show my support and be in solidarity for the pride community for the LB, what is it right now? LBGTQ. I feel like that's not the whole phrase. Do you yeah. know, Jason? LGBTQ plus. Okay. Got it. Yes. Thank you. I You're want welcome. to make sure that's said correctly. And then it was also interesting that it was called All Black Lives Matter because it's like combining Black Lives Matter with All Lives Matter. I'm not, I haven't looked that far into it, but that was the official protest that we were, March that we were in yesterday. Well, to me, and, if I may, I think the phrase, Whitney, about All Black Lives Matter was in response to a lot of the, the hate and the legal overturns against trans and lesbian and gay um, people of color. Yeah. So it was the idea that not just black lives, but all black lives, regardless of gender assignment or choice or sexual orientation. That's incredible, right? I mean, I think Jason and I are, are people that believe so much in equality and we want to make sure everybody has the same level of justice in this country and the world. And so that's why I went. And I think that's why you went, Jason. But did you feel like at moments that you felt a little uncomfortable being around thousands of strangers during this time? Well, it's interesting because I was observing not only, first of all, the incredible energy of love and positivity and openness that was there. That was, first of all, the energy was incredible. Secondarily, I was bolstered by the fact that, and this was not a surprise at all, but the incredible diversity of human beings, beautiful, open-hearted, progressive human beings that were there, just the diversity of people and colors and fashion and styles. And there was just all kinds of ages too. It was awesome. But thirdly, in terms of feeling safe, my mom was kind enough. She had some some N95s, you know, the surgical grade N95s that she sent over. So I've been using those. So I kind of did the double layer thing where I had the N95 on my face and then I had a clean bandana over it. And I had my hand sanitizer and was very, very mindful anytime I touched something or brushed on anyone or or handled anything to sanitize my hands. So I felt pretty secure, I guess, Whitney, in the, the steps that I was taking. Except um, for that time you decided not to have that drink we were given. That was a little bit like, uh, I'm going to wait till I get home. I, I didn't feel like being in a street with thousands and thousands of people surrounding me that pulling my mask down to take a drink of juice was a smart idea. So meanwhile, I did that. <laughs> and this is what I mean. It's like, there, I do experience that level of caution fatigue. It's like, ugh, I just want to drink some juice. And, and in my head, you kind of weigh out the pros and cons of things. You think like, I'm probably safe enough. But the truth is, maybe I wasn't. And it, it's 
part of that challenge right now of when do you do something and how risky is it and how cautious should you be? This is an individual decision. I had a friend of mine who was questioning me like two months ago about my social distancing and, oh, how far did you stand from people? And are you going out? And and she was being kind of like hyperactivist about my social distancing procedures. And I'm like, chill, like I'm doing what's right for me and I'm being respectful and being mindful. And one place that I don't want to get into that I could because of my anxiety and, and some other mental health challenges that I have is obsessing. I've never been labeled or evaluated as OCD, but I do think that I have some OCD-esque tendencies. And when it comes to my personal health or my safety or precautions like being in a parade, a pride parade with tens of thousands of people, I think I was just a little a little bit, I don't know, extra OCD about stuff like that, Wit. But I hear you. I mean, there, there's... I think what you're detailing, Whitney, is kind of a microcosm of the one of the larger conversations around this, which is, do we overprotect people and therefore destroy the financial system, destroy the economy, prevent people from earning a living? It's like, are you preventing people from living too much to try and ensure they don't die, right? Because if we're too on clamp down and we have too many restrictions and we have too many things that restrict our choice and our freedom, then it's like, okay, I'm locked in my house for months and months and months at a time, but is this actually living? And I'm by no means comparing this because some people are like, oh, you're locked in your house. Like that's a privilege. And it is, right? Because we're not in an internment camp. We're not in a concentration camp. We're not in jail. We're not being enslaved. You know, being inside the house has had its mental and emotional challenges. Yet compared to those kind of things, it's not all bad. I guess my point here is that at what point do we evaluate whether or not we're living and experiencing life to some degree of fullness and fulfillment versus being so overly protective that we cancel or diminish certain aspects of our social connection. You know, I mean, it's a slippery slope, isn't it? It is. And it, it does come down to the cognitive side of it. And like you're saying, each of us making our decisions based on perceived risk. And it's also an element of reward. And so going back to that CNN article about quarantine and caution fatigue, it's that if we're not going to be motivated by the fear of something, then we need another source of inspiration. So we can actually switch it to be about the reward and asking ourselves, what is the reward that I get for the choices that I make relative to what I'm giving up? So a reward could be our health, right? Like I get If I do this thing, if I wear my mask, then I'm rewarded with health. So I think. I mean, the trick is that the reward is not immediate. So, you know, in my case, I decided to drink that juice that was being passed out at at the march. And granted, I thought it was safe because I knew the company it was coming from. It was sealed, you know, (laughs) but it was passed to me by somebody else. Multiple hands touched the bottle. Then, as Jason said, I took off my mask to drink it. And unfortunately, with the incubation period, I may not know for a few weeks (laughs) what the reward is, right? Or what the risk was there. Other rewards, which I think we've seen happening a lot during COVID, is the altruistic side of the health of your family and other people. And I think that's really helped me a lot with COVID is that I'm not just wearing the mask for my own sake. 
I'm wearing that mask to be respectful of other people. And sometimes I get triggered when I see people not wearing a mask because I feel like it's really selfish. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you don't know if you're sick or not. That's part of the danger of this virus is sometimes we don't have the symptoms and we can pass it on. So if we can tune into the reward of, okay, the reward is I am protecting my health. I'm protecting other people, other people that I care for. Another way of looking at it is like you can feel like you're a master of staying safe during the pandemic. But to Jason's point, that can also become really obsessive. And then you feel like you have to go through this whole checklist and that can be very stressful. So each of us really just have to figure out what is important to us, you know, and that's really tricky because a lot of the time we look to other people to determine what's important. So. I think part of the answer is, is having conversations with our loved ones and staying as informed as possible in a way that's balanced so that we don't feel overly informed and thus get fatigue from information overload and doing a lot of self-care, you know, and self-care, we can go down the gamut of things, whether it's eating really well, making great food. I think a lot of people have been finding joy in making great food for themselves People are finding new ways to exercise. And I'd love to touch upon that with you, Jason, and see where you're at with it, because I've certainly been through a lot of different phases of exercise with myself. It was really tough for me when my yoga studio closed down in March. I think it was mid-March when they finally made that decision, because for me, I feel most motivated to work out when I'm in that community setting. And I felt a little like, I don't know if I would say depressed, but low. And Jason and I, we were just talking about this yesterday. So I'd love for you to share your perspective as we are discussing how it's really tough when you don't have that routine of going out to a class. And one thing that helped me greatly, and I'm very grateful for this, is that my current favorite yoga teacher started teaching online classes. And she has a mixture of on-demand classes that you can watch anytime. and live classes that you can tune into and be there with other people, which is most appealing to me. And a lot of yoga teachers or exercise teachers, fitness teachers in general have been doing things like this. And so we each have to find what works for us. Jason, I'm not sure. Did you share, you said that there was like a class in the park or something that your yoga studio was doing, but they have they offered any online classes or have you dabbled in that yourself? Yeah. So I I'm a practitioner of Jiva Mukti Yoga, and years ago when I lived in New York City and was chefing there, I, I was taking yoga classes and worked at the Jiva Mukti Cafe. That was back in 2006. So last year, Jiva Mukti LA opened. Amazing teachers, Hachi Yu and Beatrice Buenaventura, shout out to those ladies and the staff there. I discovered them in the Arts District, which is semi-ish neighborhood for me in Los Angeles. And not to mention that was the location of our podcast launch party yes. back in December when before COVID hit the United States that we knew of, at least. <laughs> yeah, that was the last party we threw, which was a great party. It was lovely and what an incredible space and community to share that with. So Jiva Mukti shut down as part of the safer at home orders of the Governor Newsom and Mayor Garcetti here. And so Jiva Mukti has shifted to a donation-based online Zoom class. There's a thing called Jiva Mukti Union, which is all of the studios around the world, the Jiva Mukti studios have kind of combined forces in this online entity called Jiva Mukti Union. So you can take online classes. Last weekend, 
I noticed that Hachi, who runs Jiva Mukti LA, was doing a yoga in the park. So slowly, with social distancing and outdoor setting, of course, integrating a physical aspect of the practice back in. And I found it very, very challenging to be away from that group of people because I, first of all, love most of the personalities of the people in the classes I've met there. It was a very, very small, close-knit community at Jiva Mukti LA, rich history there. And I miss the routine, like you mentioned, Whitney. And it's partially because I'm not great at holding myself accountable to certain things. And if I am at home, working from home, spending time at home, which been mostly indoors, I find it really difficult to work out at home too. And we talked about this in our episode with Dotsie Bausch, the Olympic medalist, of getting into robot mode where it's like, okay, just do the push-ups, just do the squats, just do the yoga class. It's been tough for me because I'm inside all day and I'm just like, I'm here in the same four walls. I don't feel like doing the fucking push-ups and the squats. So to long answer your question, I started resuming my workouts again uh, about three weeks ago and was playing basketball and doing cardio and doing body weight exercises like push-ups and dips and air squats. But then I had a foot injury. I rolled my ankle and then I got gout. And so I have not been mobile. So I'm hoping this week I can get back to movements with my foot again, that it feels good enough. But I've had the last three weeks of just barely any movement. It's been tough. And that is tough because when you're stagnant, that can really affect your emotional state. And uh, they say that, you know, the issues can be in your tissues. <laughs> and, it, and for any of our regular listeners, you may have heard us talk about rapid release in the end of our episode previous to this that came out a few days ago. And we were talking about how important it is to really be mindful with your body. And it's not just about moving your muscles in a form of exercise, but then caring for them in one way or another. So a big way of, of self-care for your body is massage and just making sure that your muscles are being released. That's why it's, this product is called Rapid Release and, and we're affiliates of theirs. We were absolutely blown away by them. Actually, we were introduced to Rapid Release when we were at the Longevity Conference. So speaking of events that we love, there is this incredible event series called, was it called Longevity Now or was it just called Longevity, Jason? In the beginning, it was the Longevity Conference and it became the Longevity Now Conference, which was uh, pioneered by David Wolf and some of his associates. So one of our favorite events that we've been through over the years, and uh, I've had the great honor and privilege of speaking at uh, seven of them over the years. Wow. And it's kind of like a mini expo, though, Whitney, in the sense, right, that there are product debuts and brand new things that have come out, brand new healing technologies. And this was one of them. I believe this was at the 2017. 18. Oh, it was 18 show. Yeah, thank you. Yep. And we were so geeked. I remember turning the corner there at the Anaheim Hilton and being like, what is this? And people just moaning in ecstasy of like this amazing <laughs> time. People being like, oh, my God. We're like, well, okay, I'll have what she's having. It totally was one of those. It was. Moments. It was like, I want to sit on the massage table and have you put this machine on me. <laughs> so it was the natural excitement of being introduced to a new healing technology, which Whitney and I are very much, I guess, maybe in that biohacker realm of always wanting to try new foods and new technologies and seeing how we feel. So this was definitely in alignment with that of like, ooh, something new we've never tried before. And even on the first session, I remember... Did we even say exactly what it is? I don't want to be vague about it. Oh, yeah. So it's not to diminish what it is, but if anyone's heard of like those massage guns or things that 
use vibration and have like a mechanism that repeatedly pushes, uh, I guess, like a ball, an a accessory, head. a head into parts of your muscles. So as you go down, say your traps, you know, it would just kind of like have a repeating drumming motion, like a do 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 do. And the idea is that it—that's true, but it is different than some of the more popular, cheaper models out there. Yes. There's a difference between vibration technology that rapid release uses and percussion is what the a lot of the other companies Thank use. Thank you. So I got close with a drumstick. I got close yes. with the drum. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. The, and I think it's an important distinction because rapid release is a higher end machine for lack of a better term, meaning that it's, it's a bigger financial investment, but it was developed by, I think a chiropractor. I'll, I'll go and double check this, but it was a a bodywork professional who designed this machine to have a specific way of working through the muscles. And that was part of the excitement that we felt when we tried it at longevity for the first time. And I think the reason they actually got in there, because brands have to apply to be at longevity, or they did in the past when that event was running. And they had like a very big evaluation period to make sure that only the top products could be there. Like Jason was saying, it was really neat to experience them. Anyways, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I wanted to clarify the difference between vibration massages versus the percussion massage tools. No, I think it's a wonderful distinction. And I just remember from the multiple experiences I had getting worked on with this machine. First of all, when someone else is doing the body work on you, it's I find it's different. I've used the machine on myself without any assist and then had another person facilitate the rapid release technology on my body. And I don't know, maybe it's like when someone else cooks a meal for you, it just tends to taste better, I find, rather than me cooking the meal for myself. There's something about having body work and that healing technology facilitated by someone else. It's just a deeper sense of relaxation and relief, I found. For sure. And that's actually one of the things I like about rapid release is that they have a section on their website where you can find practitioners. So we'll, of course, link to their website for you and can explore it more for yourself. And they talk about the differences between vibration versus percussion and the practitioners that you can go to. So that was one of the reasons I became so trustworthy of them is that they have a, a very specific technique to it and all of these chiropractors and body workers that will utilize it in their regular practice. So something that I've been wanting to go do is visit one of the local practitioners to experience it. However, the main reason that I love rapid release and, and any massage tools in general, but I'm, I'm a little bit privy to, is, is that the right term, privy to them, Jason, or biased towards them? You can be privy to information Oh, <laughs> and you can be biased towards something. Yeah. I can't find the right term. I'm privy to my own bias. <laughs> That's not what I meant to say. I meant I know, to say I like I like them better than other massage tools out there because of the way that it's designed and it feels so high quality. And I find actually this is like the opposite than yoga. So where and fitness in general, whereas I'm somebody who typically likes to go somewhere to do some sort of a fitness routine, whether it's yoga or bar or Pilates or whatever else I'm doing. I feel more motivated, as Jason was saying, when I have a class structure. But when it comes to massage and body work, I will delay that a lot. That's something I've been working on throughout my life is I want to prioritize body work more often, but it can get really expensive. 
a good body work session is generally around $100. Sometimes it'll be closer to like $50 or $60. But you pay with your purse or you pay with your pocket. So when you're getting something cheap, it's generally not going to be as rejuvenating and healing for your body versus when you go to a really talented massage therapist or a practitioner, a chiropractor, those type of people, you're going to get a very, generally speaking, <laughs> high quality experience. But for me, spending $100 or so to get that body work on a regular basis can really add up. And so what I liked about rapid release is even though the product in itself is an investment financially, the long-term effects of it are make it very affordable because then you can have a high-end machine at home that you can use anytime you want. And I know when I'm working out regularly or feeling really stressed, I would like to have my body worked on almost every single day of the week. And so I think it's about that accessibility. And when I'm weighing out the pros and cons of like purchasing something, I try to think like, what's the long-term investment here? And when I buy a product, I want to say, okay, it might be expensive. But as, as Jason talked about in a recent episode, if it's something that you're going to utilize for years to come and you can really like do the math, you'll find that it's really affordable. It's the same philosophy that I employ when I talk to people about investing in specific pieces of kitchen equipment, like a high-speed blender or a juicer. Exactly. And it's this idea if you go out and most places, you know, your average juice bar or your smoothie bar, you're going to be paying, you know, seven to 10 or more here in a place like LA, a lot more for a smoothie or an organic juice. You just are, you know, some places here, it's more like 12 to $14 for a really high quality organic smoothie or juice. So if you add it up and you spend something like 500 bucks on a blender or a juicer, or you spend and invest in something like rapid release, you outweigh that against what you would be paying per item, per service, per smoothie, per massage. And you realize that if you have the means to invest, you end up saving a lot of money in the long run. Absolutely. And the cool thing is, is rapid release and even uh, some of our favorite kitchen tool brands like Blendtec, they have refurbished products that are less expensive. And you can also do payment plans. I don't know if brands like Blendtec offer that, but a lot of companies have some sort of payment plan on that. I know rapid release does. And as we kind of touched upon in our last episode, it is important to consider your financial situation. And we certainly don't want to encourage anybody to go into debt or to stretch themselves quite outside of their comfort zone. But as in general, the whole point of doing this podcast is to encourage you, the listener, to go to a certain degree outside of your comfort zone just to see if you feel better from it, you know, and that can be true with making new decisions to your routine or investing in things financially. And, and it's really interesting how money comes up so much when it comes to our self care. And a lot of us will use money as an obstacle. Like I can't afford that, but sometimes it's a matter of figuring out your priorities. And we really believe that self-care should be a priority. So it's like with fitness, you know, Jason, when you were talking about the obstacles you face around discipline when it comes to working out at home, and I face that too. So what I did for my quarantine fitness routine is I just have to put it on my calendar. And just as I would with going to a yoga class in person, if I'm going to attend a virtual yoga class, if I put that on my calendar and say, I'm going to do it at this time every day or every other day, whatever my routine wants to be, it helps me get into the rhythm of it, which starts to 
release some of my mental obstacles around it. And the same thing can be true with your finances. If something feels expensive to you, but you really want it, start saving up for it. And there's so many ways that you can save money. You can put things in a piggy bank if you want. You can put aside money in bank accounts and and certain, you can actually create a savings account for certain things. Uh, You can use tools like I think mint.com has features where you can be reminded to put money aside. There's so many different ways that you can save money and it adds up really quickly. And thinking of it as a reward when we were talking about quarantine fatigue here and how we have to measure out risk versus reward and remembering that there are things that are really good for your long-term health that you can reward yourself with too so that it becomes a something that feels really valuable to you. And I, I know that I've often struggled with the finances of things. You know, even my yoga practice can often feel expensive, but I know the long-term benefits of it are really good for my mental emotional and physical well-being. So I prioritize that in my finances. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation of what we choose to invest our financial resources in, because I think one of the gifts that I've been reflecting on Whitney through through this quarantine period has been all of my necessities are met. All, all of my needs are met, you know, in terms of having a refrigerator and pots and pans and all the kitchen equipment I would need and having music and having animal companions. You know, it's been a real break in, I think, looking at my own level of materialistic tendencies, right? Of not wanting to buy any more clothes, not wanting to buy any more kitchen stuff, not wanting to buy, I don't know, just kind of breaking or looking at rather the spell of constant materialism that seems to drive our economy. and. One thing it's funny that I I am looking for is a new guitar because at the beginning of this I was doing it's pretty scary financially so I actually sold my old guitar Whitney Whitney remembers this I had a period in March where I was kind of looking around going okay what do I really not need and my guitar was one of those things and as part of this conversation of where do we want to spend our money and what are the long term benefits you know I've been going around to different guitar shops since we reopened here in LA and just playing guitars the other day I spent over an hour at a guitar shop, just playing guitar after guitar after guitar and having fun with it. But I found one that I really, really like, and it's a lot more than I had thought I wanted to spend. You know what I mean? It's not an egregious amount like, wow, you're going to need to mortgage the house to get that guitar. But it is more than I thought I wanted to spend, right? But every single time I've picked up that guitar in the stores that I've gone to, I'm like, damn, this is something about it just feels right. You know, the way that the vibration of the body when it you hit a chord, the way it feels in my hand, I'm like, damn, this is... So now I'm in that whole mode of like, okay, well, you need to think about this is a time of great economic uncertainty and you love this thing, but is it a necessity? Uh, Not really. Maybe it is for your mental health. I don't know. Let's just hold off and not do it until you get clear about whether or not it's a good choice. And plus side to the event being canceled is that the money that you were going to put towards that event could be put towards the guitar instead, Jason. If you're looking for a silver lining. That's an interesting point. I hadn't considered that. The dualistic nature of so many things, Whitney, isn't that interesting? Because on the one hand, we started this episode off feeling bereft about the cancellation of this event that we love every year and all the attendant tentacles from that, not seeing our friends on the East Coast, not seeing family, all of those things. But then on the other side, and you and I were joking and conversing about this before the episode started of like how much money every single year I certainly spend on 
flying to shows and conferences. And, you know, sometimes the organizers cover that, but sometimes it's out of my own pocket. And basically this year, other than, well, we did go to San Francisco at the beginning of the year and I went to New York and stuff like that, but it's going to be close to nothing in terms of travel expenses this year, which year after year, that's a pretty high budget, I'd say, with the amount of traveling I do. So unless something drastically changes by the end of 2020, yeah, to your point, travel budget is is next to nothing. And there you go. I mean, it, I think this is part of the processing that we need to go through and really s- taking the time to reflect. In that book I referenced earlier about handling healing through dark emotions is what it's called. The big takeaway that I had, even though I haven't finished it yet, the big takeaway is sitting with discomfort and uncomfortable feelings. Instead of trying to numb ourselves, just tuning in to how we're feeling and all the different ways that we've been talking about in in our episodes and tuning into our self-care and remembering that we have so many tools at our fingertips. You know, it can be as simple as making sure you're hydrated and eating high quality food. That can have a profound almost immediate impact on how you feel, moving our body, making sure that we're taking great care of our body, whether it's through massage or maybe taking a bath or just relaxing our muscles so that we can release all of those stored up emotions and that tension and that stress, having conversations with friends and really digging in and processing the way that Jason and I do in most of our episodes here. And not being afraid to face our grief, our fears, our despair that might feel so heavy. And it's kind of like turning towards them as opposed to turning away from them and trying to numb ourselves or distract ourselves from it. Because ultimately, we have to face them. In fact, the book even talks about how those emotions can end up causing health effects, like physical manifestations of our emotions if we do not face them. And that's really interesting too. I, th- I mean, I, I think that's one of the big benefits of doing body work is that you're actually releasing stuck emotion or doing yoga. I mean, certain yoga poses, especially when you get into your hips, you can release a lot of intense feelings because sometimes that stress, we start to grip certain parts of our body and we're not even aware of it. So the more that we can tune into ourselves mentally and physically, the better we're able to face these really tough times and acknowledge them and give ourselves that self-respect instead of trying to pretend that it's not happening or just get to a point of denial so much. You know, Jason, like I really appreciate that you opened up to me about your sadness today and how you're being very genuine in your emotional reaction to this news. Whereas some people just think like, oh, you know what? It's not a big deal. We've got bigger issues in the world to face. And so I'm just going to pretend that I don't feel that way. I think bypassing or compartmentalizing isn't really serving anyone right now. And that can come in so many forms. You just talked about one form of bypassing, of minimizing an emotion we're feeling or a challenging emotion. Yeah, there's like you said, there's bigger things going on. I'm not going to let myself feel sad. I think we've also talked about toxic positivity, and that's also a form of bypassing of like, no, if every high vibes, high vibes only. No, 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 it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Like we see a lot of that on social media still. So I think one thing we can do for our health right now 
because we do believe that the mind and the body and the spirit are connected. There's a symbiotic relationship between these levels of wellness and self-care that if we are emotionally bypassing or not allowing ourselves to really feel what we're feeling and own it and not try and make excuses for it or diminish it or minimize it, then that, as far as my understanding goes, really toward preventing trauma from being stored in the body. You know, one book that I'm familiar with and have read some stuff out of is uh, The Body Keeps the Score and how trauma can literally be stored in our tissues and our cellular memory. And we mentioned this briefly on the the episode um, with Jason Green, the second episode we did with him about somatic experiencing. And one of the most beneficial things that I've done with my therapist, who also has a background as a body worker, is not just getting to the psychological side of trauma and healing and dealing with our issues, but the fact that especially as we're younger and we don't have a way to contextualize or compartmentalize things mentally or fully understand them, we store shock and pain and trauma in our bodies in specific areas. And through that kind of work, Whitney, you need to talk about getting to the issues and the tissues. A lot of my trauma that I discovered was stored in my abdominal region, in my heart and my lower back. And so I've had gut issues my whole life and I've had some heart issues and I've had some stuff with my lower back and going to these specific memories and working them on a cellular level. It's like, oh, well, that's where my body decided to store this stuff because I didn't emotionally process it and allow myself to feel it as a kid. It's really interesting how interrelated all of this is. Absolutely. And it's a journey to discover what works well for you. And for me, I love learning through reading. I read books and articles, and then I really like to process them out loud with my friends, my loved ones. And that's part of the biggest joys I have with doing this podcast is it's really healing for me. And I hope that it's healing for the listener and hearing new perspectives and getting ideas for your self-care, your well-being, and and being encouraged to go outside of your comfort zone. And for me, I have learned that I have a ability to change very quickly and reconsider things. I think a lot of people, though, are afraid to change and do things differently because it feels very comfortable to stay the same. And each of us has a different relationship with discomfort. Sometimes we avoid it. Sometimes we embrace it. We face it head on. And it's okay wherever you're at as a listener. We're not here to shame you or tell you what's right or wrong. We don't really believe that there's a right or wrong way to do things. It's just wherever you're at at this time. And we hope that these conversations that we have really give you a lot to consider. And we're grateful that you're here and you're listening and you're open-minded, you're open-hearted to each of it. We also want to let you know that we're here for you. (laughs) And so as we wrap up this episode, as we try to do with the end of most of our episodes to remind you that you can always reach out to us and be part of the discussion. And there's a few ways that you can do that. One is to go to our website, which is wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Not only do we have the podcast section that we've mentioned a few times, but we have resources there. We have free PDFs all about different elements of well-being. We have videos you can watch. Those are all free blog posts that you can read a newsletter you can subscribe to if you want to get reminders about our podcast episodes and other resources in your inbox. And if you go to the podcast section or even the blog section, there's a comment element there. So you can go in and share your thoughts on things. We genuinely love to hear from you and we really hope that you do 
comment. The more that we can learn about you, the better. And we talked about this in in a recent episode, how we just want to know where you're at. Who are you and what are you going through? And what are your feelings? What have you learned? What has been helpful to you? Because not only does that help us as podcasters, but it helps other people that are checking out the comments section. And the same thing goes with social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, TikTok, even under at Wellevator. Again, that's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. That's our brand name. And uh, you can reach out to us there, connect with us, follow us, comment. And you can also direct message us on most of those platforms. So if you have something you want to say to us privately, we'd love to hear from you. And you can also reach us via email at hello at wellevator.com. And ultimately, we just want you to know that you're not alone, that you're supported. We're here for you. We're doing this for you as much as we're doing it for ourselves. And the more that we can connect with you, the more joy we feel. So we hope that you take advantage of that. And also there are resources, as we mentioned in every episode. So if you want to read the books we've referenced, check out the articles, check out products that we talked about, like Canopy Verde and Rapid Release. Rapid Release, we actually have a discount code for. If you click the link in our resource section, it should automatically apply for you. You can also use the code WELLBEING, W-E-L-L-B-E-I-N-G, and that'll apply a discount for you. So if you want to save a little bit of money, as many of us do, <laughs> we're always doing our best to get you some discounts, some freebies, whatever we can do to make it easier for you to feel your best. Well, Jason, thank you for having this conversation with me today. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Yeah, two things. I want the listener to know that we don't ever expect you only to give us, quote, positive praise or positive feedback. If you have something constructive or perhaps certain topics you'd like us to focus on or dive deeper into, don't feel any pressure that like, oh, I, some people feel like I can only give positive feedback and positive reviews. It's certainly not a opening the floodgates to the trolls right now, but we just want to hear from you directly and what's going on in your life. And whenever we get those personalized emails or those personalized direct messages, as you're giving us a glimpse into some of your challenges or discomforts or struggles, it really is a way that we get to know you on a more intimate and deep level. And we just absolutely love that part of this. That's so true. I want to agree with you there, Jason. And and that's part of getting uncomfortable. Actually, we did receive one piece of feedback months ago from someone who was praising Jason, but wanted us to know that they didn't like it when I interrupted you, which is ironic because I, I kind of did just interrupt you there. But, <laughs> you know... <laughs> we are certainly growing as podcasters. And as I said in my reply to that person, I was grateful to hear that feedback. And I've certainly worked on trying not to interrupt unless it felt like it was appropriate or necessary to. We certainly come a long way since our first few episodes. In fact, we just upgraded our equipment thanks to some of the funds that we received on Patreon from our Yay. wonderful supportive community there who sends us a few dollars a month that something we save up and we apply towards equipment and software. So we use a Dropbox, for example, which is a great service to upload our episodes to so they can be edited and that costs a certain amount of money every month. And then uh, we were able to purchase some new equipment for ourselves. And I think it greatly improved the audio quality. We'd love to hear feedback from you. We got something called a pop filter. Each of us, Jason already had one, but I actually think the one that we just got, do you feel like it's different from or better than 
than the one that you had before, Jason? Yeah, the weave is different in terms of the the mesh. And I also think that by using these really wonderful boom arms, it's just a much more direct line for my mouth to be in the directional microphone. So it's interesting, you know, there's the idea of, of having really high quality stuff, but then making sure you have the ability to use it properly, right? Mm-hmm. So we're just, again, super grateful for our patrons. Very, very grateful for all, all of our fans and followers and friends and, and all the encouragement and comments and ways that you support us energetically and financially to keep this message going so we can support people in getting clear, getting out of their suffering and becoming more self-aware as we, Whitney and I certainly, and hopefully you as well, dear listener, aim to have a more equitable, peaceful, kind, loving, fair world. Absolutely. And actually, one other way that you can be of support in a very easy way is if you ever purchase anything that we recommend, if you click on the links in the show notes at wellevator.com, a lot of those are affiliate links, meaning if you purchase something that we recommend, such as Rapid Release or a book, we will often link to an affiliate platform. So when you buy something, you will be sending a percentage of that to us kind of indirectly, meaning it doesn't cost you anything extra. You're buying that product at the price it would be, or even saving money. Like I said, with rapid release, we have that discount code with the word well-being. So if you purchase rapid release, you get a discount and rapid release will send us money for referring you. And so there's something that we really believe in. We will recommend it. We never recommend something we don't believe in. And part of the benefit is that it's a, a way for you to support us financially that helps us continue to grow as a podcasters to make it sound better and better and to pro- provide more resources for you. It all comes full circle in a way that we can give more back. So as Jason said, thank you so much. We are very grateful for you and look forward to connecting with you on social media, in the comments section, or just having you as a listener. We will continue to bring you three episodes a week for as long as we can sustain it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, certainly after about six months of doing this, we have gotten into our flow with the show and it's brought us a lot of joy. We're, we're, we're nearing 100 episodes. This is the 86th episode, but 100 will be here before we know it, Jason. That feels significant for so many reasons and yet also still very much in the embryonic stage of <laughs> this wonderful gift. And certainly, Whitney, I, I just wanted to say you talked about bringing joy to ourselves and joy to others. You know, we're just figuring this out as we go. We don't claim to have any expertise or answers in life. We're in the school of life and the game of life and the experience of this fascinating thing called life along with you, dear listener. And we're figuring all of this out in real time. So thank you for being on the journey with us. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.